And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Bathroom Break. As always, I am your host, Ivan. So before I start the episode, if you guys don't mind, I kind of want to go into a little rant. I recently saw a movie that I'm not gonna lie, I was I was really looking forward to it. The movie was called Halloween Ends. For those that know, like I love horror movies. And Halloween, the Halloween franchise, you know, Michael Myers, the white mask. Laurie Strode, Professor Loomis. These these are characters that I love. Halloween 4 was one of the first horror movies that I saw as a kid. And it just blew my mind. It like expanded my love for cinema and horror movies in general. And I believe it was in 2018. They came out and said, you know what? Um, We're going to re- soft reboot the franchise. Uh, it's going to be done through Blumhouse, so I was excited for that. Um, Danny McBride was brought in as a as a writer. If you guys don't know that that person by name, um, he's part of, like, Seth Rogen's crew. Um, he always plays, like, the asshole character. Uh, I, I know he was in um, Pineapple Express. Um, this is the end. Like, he always plays, like, the, the asshole character. So I was curious to see that. He was brought on as a as a writer, but you know what? I was like, um, maybe maybe he knows his stuff. You don't know. Like people were shocked when um uh the guy from Kim Peele, Jordan Peele, uh Jordan Peele was gonna direct horror, and look how that turned out. Like he's been very successful when it comes to that. So I was like, you know what? Let's give this guy a try. And the first movie I personally thought was really good. It was well done. Like. It pays homage to the original Halloween, the John Carpenter one, and it was good. Like, um, the it had its bloody kills, which I I understand. You know, they have to do that because that's how horror movies are now. Like, you have to show gore and stuff, even though like it wasn't. It's never been like Michael's like mo for like these like horrible like fucking kills that he does. But, you know, it's understandable. You got to get with the time. So I, I didn't mind that at all. The story was still good. And I was excited to see what they were going to do with it. So what happens? Obviously, the movie is a success. So with success comes money. So obviously, they wanted to make more of these movies. So right off the bat, I think the movie had just come out in theaters. It was doing well. And Blumhouse had already, uh, Universal had already said, yeah, we're going to make two more of these, which right off the bat, always like it, in my opinion, it's never a good idea to do that, to come out and say, oh yeah, we're going to make multiple of these movies. Cause that just basically means, all right, right up for like, I already know one of these is going to be filler. And that's basically what ended up happening. So you have the first Halloween and then it was Halloween kills, which was nothing of a movie. It, I thought at the time, yo, this movie sucks. And little did I know that it could have gotten worse, which it did with Halloween Ends. If you haven't seen it, like I'm going to try my best not to spoil it, but it's just I'm I'm pro- I'm going to spoil it. I'm sorry. Like just skip this part if you haven't seen it. Um I'll get on with the episode, but I just I I had to talk about it, guys. I I had to cuz Because, you know, I like talking about shit, my shit, so I'm going to talk about other people's shit. And my God, this movie is nothing but shit. That is so upsetting to me to have to put Halloween and shit 
in the same sentence that I have to. There is no other word for it. I have no idea what the hell this movie was. This movie was so bad that I'm pretty sure she's going to be okay with me saying, Ashley, my girlfriend, she she loves shitty movies. Like, she'll, she's the worst person to ask for advice because she'll just give you, like, terrible, like, movie choices. But even she couldn't even finish this movie. She didn't see the ending. She just, like, she just looked at me and told me, you know what, just tell me how it ends. I'm going to bed. Like, I don't even want to watch this. And I really don't blame her. It starts off, I think, they going into this, they had an idea. And through that idea, um, you know, the the movie starts off a certain way. And you're there thinking, like, okay, like, I, I see where you guys are going with this. Like, maybe it'll pay off. And halfway in the movie, it, the movie takes, like, it becomes, like, another movie. And, bro, I, <laughs> I don't even know. I'm just baffled by how this even got made. I knew that this movie was going to be bad because they, before they even announced it for theaters, they had said, yeah, we're going to stream it on Paramount Plus, which don't get me wrong. Like streaming movies have been doing rather well. Like you could see with the Netflix movies and stuff. So that doesn't automatically make the movie bad, but this is a, a big franchise. This is a big movie. So I already knew they had the, the studio had little faith in this movie. I knew it was going to be bad right from the beginning. I just didn't know how bad it was going to be. And like I said, I'm going to spoil it. So if you haven't seen it yet, trust me, you're not missing much. But Michael only comes out, I want to say, like, at most, maybe like 20 minutes of this movie. He's not he's just like a, a side factor in the movie. Like, I even forget that I was watching a Halloween movie at a point because it's all about this. Which I don't even understand. Here we go. So let me tell you a little bit about the movie. It's about this guy. It's on the night of Halloween. Like uh, the first two movies. Um, When Michael goes on the killing rampage. This guy's like babysitting this kid. And he accidentally kills the kid. <laughs> that was like honestly the best part of the movie. That kid's death was hilarious. Because that kid was mad annoying. Um, So he kills the kid by accident. He... I think he goes to jail. I'm not 100%. I think he gets off on a technicality or something. But obviously, like, the town, like, he be, kind of takes up, like, the town boogeyman, like, um, like that mantle. And people are still shitting on Lori for some reason because they're trying to victimize Mike. Is that, I don't even understand what they were doing with this movie. It makes no sense. And if this is – this really made me sad for one thing. Obviously, because it's Halloween and I love the franchise, but this even made me sadder for the future because the next project that I know both these writers and the director of it, the next franchise that they're going to tackle is The Exorcist, which is my favorite horror movie of all time. And they already said they're kind of going to do the same thing where it's going to be a sequel to the original. And they already announced that they're going to do three movies. The first one hasn't even come out. We don't even know if it's going to be good. And they already announced, like, no, we're doing, like, a, a trilogy based off these this new story. And honestly, like, I hope Universal and Blumhouse, they, like, take a step back and realize all the backlash and how shitty this movie was. And they're like, you know what? Maybe not touch this project. Maybe, like, focus on some new stories. Or maybe just make one movie. You don't have to go and make, like, a whole new franchise. Because it's not going to pay off and... I'm really not looking forward to the Exorcist movies because this movie was crap. If you haven't seen it, don't. 
if you still want to watch it, go in with the lowest of low expectations. So with that, let's let let's get on with the episode because I'm I'm getting upset. So let's focus on today's topic. So today's topic, um, we're continuing the scared the shit out of me series. This is part three, and today I'm gonna be focusing on aliens. So I had recently asked on Instagram, I did a poll to see, you know, just trying to get an idea of, you know, if people actually believed in aliens or not. And honestly, I was surprised to see how many people do believe. I think it was the majority. Like, I think only like one or two people voted that they don't believe in aliens, which is I like me personally. I didn't really believe in aliens like growing up. Like, I didn't care for them. I didn't like the movies and stuff. Obviously, Star Wars is epic, but I'm talking about in like a horror sense, in a scary sense, aliens never really scared me. That was <laughs> until I heard like a, a personal story from someone that was like very close to me. Um, so this day, I'm not 100% sure what the story really is. What I, I'm obviously going to discuss the story. Um, you know how you guys, uh, you guys, I do this. I, I focus on a topic and then I tell like a personal story. I really don't have a personal story when it comes to to aliens but this is someone that was close to me and i'm pretty sure they'd be okay with me telling the story so that is gonna be like i guess my quote-unquote like personal story which i will tell towards the end and at the end uh i will continue the countdown of the 100 scariest movies um this for this episode it's probably gonna be a little bit longer because i have to go um i'm gonna divide it obviously uh have to go from 60 to 41 and then from 40 to 21 because um october is about to end and i still want to do one more episode so i'm probably going to release two episodes come monday so let's get into it so like i said we will be discussing aliens so uh where was i where was i i'm sorry i'm looking at my notes here so um like i said i got into um aliens hearing this person's story and that like basically let me down like a rabbit hole of theories and conspiracies that span through decades um all having to do with sightings uh, of ufos and i and i saw that you know it's not just here in the u.s that people see these flying saucers um it's like all over the world for example you have like this really interesting story that comes out of africa where 62 students in zimbabwe claim to have seen a silver craft descend from the sky and land near their school. And they actually made contact with the beings inside. You also have um, this story coming out of Australia where a pilot uh, pilot was uh, trying to contact air traffic control, claiming to have seen a UFO, UFO right before him and his aircraft vanished, never to be seen again. So yeah, like I was saying, you have all these stories spanning from all over the world spanning through years and years and of course with the rise of modern technology um these sightings have increased so one of the main reasons why i wanted to do this episode was i was recently uh on tiktok and for some reason uh, on this particular night like my whole feed was just alien videos it was just um people's you know on their camera phones like pointing to the sky and you would see like these mysterious lights like all over the sky, like people claiming like aircrafts and stuff. And it was all happening around like the same area, like 
the southwest area, you know, states like New Mexico and Arizona and Texas, people were seeing like these lights. And, you know, if you look at the comments, you're always going to see people that are trying to rationalize it. Um, I think Elon Musk uh, had recently like sent uh, send up like satellites. So they were trying to say it was that bit. It's it's kind of hard to pinpoint what it is, especially day and age with everything that's, you know, going on. Because finally, after decades of people telling their personal stories about flying objects, about abductions, about mysterious lights, and, you know, years, people calling these people crazy and just uh, attention hogs and just trying to make money out of it, the U.S. government finally came out and said, all right, guys, um, just letting you guys know. There are, yes, there are things in the sky that we have no idea what they are. And the reason why they finally came out is because I don't know if you guys have been seeing, but actual military uh, entities have come out and shown like video footage of like these mysterious like aircrafts in the sky. Um, one of the famous ones is uh, Commander Fravor's uh, video where you see it's all black it's a little like it's like all grainy it's black and white so it's kind of hard to see but you see an object like it stands still and you see it like take off and like you can hear the the audio of them saying like oh man like what is that so finally like the government has come out and said yes there are things in the sky that we do not know the origin of so people were like okay so finally like you're saying there you're saying that there is such thing as ufos and the government obviously was like, no, what are you, like, stupid or something? What the hell are UFOs? No, these are UAPs. So they went and changed the name. It's no longer UFOs. They're UAPs now. UAPs stand for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. That is the official name of these things in the sky. So, of course, you know, I, I, like to, I don't like to come in here and just, you know, just give bullshit. I want to give you guys the facts because that's what we do here at Bathroom Break. It's all about giving you guys the facts. So I had heard a rumor that you could actually go on a government website and they have all these um, assessments, like all these documents um, where they go and they talk about these things. And you can actually go. I went and looked it up. I was at work and you can actually go to this website. I believe it's um, www. Hold on. I'm sorry. I wrote it somewhere here. Uh, www dni.gov which is the uh, offices of the director of national intelligence and you could look up these reports it's called the preliminary assessment on uaps this is guys this is like a legit government website it's not like reddit it's not google or something like this is a legit website where you can go and you can look up these things so i read uh it's like i believe it's like nine pages long um, so I'm not going to go into full detail, but I'm, I highly suggest you check it out. It's really creepy and weird because this is like, you know, government intelligence writing these things down. So it talks about the, the report talks uh, about multiple things on UAPs. It's an overview on the different aspects on it. Uh, it talks about like all the challenges associated with this phenomenon, you know, possible threats because, you got to understand these things are up there in the sky and they move and stuff. That's the thing. Like they're constantly there and the people have seen them move around. So what they're scared of, you know, airplanes or stuff, you know, flying through the sky and these things being there. So that to me is like really, really creepy. 
the fact that the government is finally acknowledging that there are stuff that we don't know about in our in our skies um let's see what else they talk about um they talk about how there could possibly be different types of uaps um there are some that they look like tic tacs i've heard you have like your basic flying saucers you have this thing apparently that looks like a transparent cube and inside of it it looks like a like an orb or something which is like really interesting. That's like the main one that people have been seeing. It's like this weird um cube look like look alike thing. So for this episode, I wanted to touch on uh like these three specific stories. Um, oh, they're all based off here in the U.S. These are stories that uh, if you guys have looked and you probably have heard of it if you looked up um into uh UFOs and aliens. These are probably like three of the most famous stories so the first one i want to touch on is the betty and barney hill story so uh betty and barney who uh were an american couple who claims to have been abducted by extraterrestrials in new hampshire so this was back in the 60s and according to them they were driving down a rural area uh, at night when they noticed an object in the sky barney obviously at first thought it was an airplane that they were seeing but betty wanted to get a closer look she said, no, that looks too off to be an airplane. And he was like, no, it's an airplane because uh, he could see, like, blinking lights on it. But she was adamant. She wanted to see what it was. And it just so happens that they had binoculars in the car. So they were like, you know what? Okay, so Barney stops at a rest area to get a closer look. And Betty, starts, uh, Betty like, uses the binoculars and observes that it's not an airplane. It's a weird-shaped craft that's flashing, like, these lights. And it's flying across the face of the moon. Barney's still like sure that it's not an airplane. But that all changes as they notice that the aircraft starts to descend and move towards them. This obviously scares them. It scares them so much that they get in the car and they speed off. They're just speeding out, out of there, not realizing what the hell this thing is. And they they start getting even more scared when they notice that this thing is actually following them and it even gets on top of them. So they're completely seeing this thing. They stop somewhere. They step out of the car. Barney gets out first and grabs his binoculars, looks up at it, and he can see that there's like windows on this aircraft and there's actually beings. There's up to like 10 creatures there straight looking at him. They're just staring at him. This obviously scares them. And what scares them even more is he says, he claims that they were trying to talk to him, that he could hear voices in his head. They were speaking to him telepathically. Um, Barney tries to get back in the car. They drive off once again, and that's when it starts. That's when they notice this weird buzzing sound, and their whole bodies and the car starts to vibrate. And then just, boom, complete darkness. And then they hear it again, the buzzing sound. The buzzing sounds what wakes them up. They're just, they, it's like something clicks, they're awake. It was then, it was then when they, they noticed that they were still in the car. They were still driving, but they were like miles away. It was as if they were like in a, they were still a little out of it. It was like if they were like snapping out of a dream. They had no recollection of what was happening. All they knew is that they were still in their car. They could still hear the buzzing, and they had lost track of time. They had no idea where they were. 
so obviously this comes out um you know people were super skeptical um the main thing you guys need to understand about this uh was that they were an interracial couple um betty was white and barney was black and you know during the 60s that was like a big thing so a lot of people assumed it was just them trying to cope with it because people were like oh they probably had to deal with like problems or trying to get attention but they've said they've said multiple times that that know that 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 was never an issue with their parents with society that was nothing they were just trying to find a people were just trying to find a reason to call them liars these people had actually been hypnotized and um till so like the very end barney was very very like scared of that whole incident like he claims that he still he remembers um being inside the aircraft so they were both put uh oh my god something i had forgot was betty after this all happened betty started having like these weird dreams where she was in an alien aircraft and she was not sure if they were dreams or just you know repressed memories of what happened that time that was lost to them um she remembers like yes just like uh barney like she remembers being uh basically like um what's the word like diagnosed like they were doing like tests on them like they remember like they were taking blood samples and semen samples and she remembers like she was at one point she was taken into a room where she could see um it looked like a star chart basically like something that you'd see out of like star trek or star wars it looked like a like a map of the universe and it basically like showed where in that area they were and apparently to them they were like galaxies away from earth and of course you know all this you got to take like you know whether you believe it or not if you actually do believe in aliens and if you don't but that to me was very fascinating that they stuck by their story and to this day obviously people don't believe them they they say that they were trying to get attention but the main thing you guys got to remember about these stories is these people were at first what I always like find fascinating is that they didn't want to come out and say these stories. It was either they were convinced or, you know, someone else told their story. So they had to come out and say their story. But a lot of the times these stories that these people were saying, like didn't give them fame or anything. If anything, like it destroyed many of their lives, like because people called them crazy or attention hogs. So and this things that, you know, we're still talking about, even though it happened like 50 or 60 years ago. And, you know, I'm just trying to, like, inform you guys of, like, these stories. So this happens in the 60s. The second story takes place in the 70s. The second story I wanted to touch on was the abduction of Travis Walton. So a decade after, yes, after the Hill incident, a logging crew working in the Apache Still Greaves National Park in Snowflake, Arizona, claims they encountered a flying saucer hovering, hovering over the ground. So they were trying to, uh, they were fin- they were working, they had finished working, so they're driving off, they're trying to get home, and they, they see this flying saucer. Um, they stop, and the, the story, Travis Walton, he's drawn towards the craft, so he gets off. Everyone's trying to tell him, like, yo, what are you doing? Like, get back in the car, but it's as if he's, like, hypnotized or something. And he's basically feet away from this thing, and he gets hit by a beam of light, and this completely knocks him out. This knocks him out, and he doesn't remember anything. 
the coworkers are seeing all this, they drive off. They're horrified. They completely leave him and they drive off. Um, one of them claims that as they're driving off, he gets like a change of heart. He's like, no, what are we doing? Like, we need to go back for him. They try to go back. But Walton's gone. This, the aircraft is gone. It's as if nothing had ever been there. So obviously they get scared. They go to the police. So they go to the police. They tell them what happens. Obviously, like if someone goes up to you and is like, yo, our friend is missing. Aliens took him. They're going to assume that you're either on drugs, that you're crazy that you're just trying to cause problems. So a whole manhunt happens, like a whole, like they go into investigation. They're trying to find this guy still with all this happening. The cop, the police still believe that his coworkers have killed this guy and they're trying to make a story out of it. So yes, a whole there, you know, these people use scented dogs, they use helicopters. They're, they're looking for this guy and they cannot find them. So while all this is happening, um, Walton claims that he just remembers being back on earth. Like he wakes, like he's like he snapped out of a dream. He remembers he he realizes he's walking down a hallway, uh outside a highway, and he looks up and he sees like a ball of light take off. So he goes to the hospital. Um, they finally find him. this happens five days after the abduction like this guy's been missing for five days and they just randomly find him so obviously when they go and they question him they're like yo where have you been like did these people try to do something he goes and he tells them his story so according to him all he can remember is he he sees the saucer he gets hit with the light and he wakes up in this hospital like room so he's in this hospital room and he's surrounded by three little bald creatures. This obviously scares him. And he tries to fight off the creatures. That is until this human-esque, humanoid uh, creature walks in. Which starts talking to him telepathically. And is able to calm him down. And the this creature takes him to another room. And when he gets into the room, he notices that there's other um, human, human-like creatures. And... He just basically, he remembers that he assumes either one of them, like, put him to sleep or knocked him out. Because the next thing he remembers is walking down this uh, this highway. And, you know, till this day, like, this has been one uh, um, a major story. Um, they've made books and movies off this. Um, I don't remember the name of the movie right now, but I haven't heard good things. But this is, like I said, this is another person that, you know, basically kind of, it gets shitted on like he lost everything because of the story that he's telling that so that he was missing for five days obviously we don't know he could have been like at a friend's house or a family's family member's house but he was missing like there was a complete manhunt for him and they didn't find him like the, they've just found him wandering and his story hasn't changed since that day like he's been on the joe rogan um podcast and he's told his story and he's one of those characters that you just you just don't know you don't know, like, all right, is this guy, like, full of shit? Is he being serious? But to this day, people still still lie to him. And one of the main things that people always use against him, um, I think it was a couple years after the, the whole incident with the aliens, they did a polygraph test, and he it came out negative. Like, it was saying that he was lying. But he doesn't believe. He says that it, it was all orchestrated, that 
they just didn't want to believe him. That they weren't telling the truth, that they were trying to hide the fact that, yes, aliens are real. So the last uh, person I wanted to touch on, which is probably like the most controversial uh, from the people that I've been uh, talking about, is a man named Bob Lazar. So Bob Lazar is a self-proclaimed physicist who claims that he was hired to work in a secret site called S4. So what is S4? S4, according to him, is a sub-base of the infamous Area 51. What was he hired to do there? He was hired to reverse engineer extraterrestrial technology. So this man, like I said, very controversial because um, he's been like in trouble with the law. He claims it's all been orchestrated by the government because he actually, that's the difference between him and the other people, is that he actually worked for the government. So this man, um, he claimed he was working at Los Alamos, um, and he got he became famous because he basically put like a jet engine in his car, and this came out in the news, and it made uh, it, it got everywhere. People were talking about it, and obviously, it got the interest of the government. So he gets contracted by the government. They don't really tell him much what he's going to be doing. They just tell him that it's a major project, that it's very hush-hush. He's not allowed to, to speak on what he sees and what he's working on, that in his department, it's just him and this other person. That's basically all they tell him, that it's a it's a project with many moving pieces, and he just has to focus on one thing. So when he gets there, he... He sees who he's working with. Uh, the person tells him a little bit about what he's working, and he's working with this with this element called one fifteen. He obviously has questions. He's like, "What is this?" Like, I he claims he's a physicist, so he obviously knows science. He has no idea what he's looking at, and the person there tells him, "Yes, this is something that is new to humans. This is something that's not from this world." So this gets his interest, obviously, not just as a scientist, but just <laughs> in general. It's just like, what do you mean this isn't from this world? And the guy explains to him what they're doing there. According to the guy, the government has different aircrafts that are not from this world. Bob Lazar obviously is calls it bullshit, doesn't believe it. He obviously doesn't believe in aliens. He's a man of science. There is no proof that there is aliens. But the man explains to him, yes. So the thing that we are working on is an important piece of the aircraft. This is basically what makes the aircraft move. So this, the thing about element 115, I believe, is that it creates its own gravity. Like it builds a gravity force around it. So that is how the aircraft moves. So little by little, he starts believing this guy and they do different tests experiments and obviously like they're not getting anywhere um he notices that like there are days where they're they just don't do anything because they um they just don't know what to do with this thing and this is the type of job where like he doesn't work every day it's basically like hey um either you're gonna work like for a month straight and then be off for like two months or we'll just randomly call you up and be like, we need you ASAP. So 
obviously he has this type of job like his friends are asking about it his wife is asking like what do you do like what are you working at and he is really not allowed to sing little to, does he know that he's actually being he's under surveillance so yes he's not telling people but he didn't know that the his house had been bugged that he's being followed that they're making sure that this guy is not saying anything so he says that one day he goes into work and this day is a little different that this day um instead of going to the main building where um his office is they're taking him to these hangars and th he says that there must be like four or five of these giant hangars and that the doors are open which is uh odd to him cuz these are hangars that he passes you know on a regular basis and they're always closed uh, he didn't even know if anything was if anybody was in there or anything there was never any noise or nothing coming out of these things and this one particular day, the doors are open. And inside, he says he sees these mysterious aircrafts in there. Stuff that looks just straight out of science fiction. He doesn't even comprehend what he's looking at. And he notices that they're taking him to one of these hangars. So he's like, holy crap, I'm actually going to get to see one of these things up and close. And he gets to work on one of these aircrafts. According to him, it was like sort of like a flying saucer. But it was very, very small that basically like only like two people, like two human sized um, adults, um, two adult sized humans could actually like fit into it. That it looked like the, the ship was created for for children and there was really nothing inside of it. Like everything seemed like a stuff that obviously like materials that weren't from this world, but there wasn't like buttons or lights or any of that. It was just it looked fake. It looked like something plastic. So that kind of made me wonder, um, because he also claimed something else that he remembers one day um walking into his building and that he would have to pass these different rooms. And he claims that on one day, um, he passed one of the, the rooms with the uh the door was closed, obviously, but it had one of those windows on it. And he claims that there was these two scientists in there and this weird shaped humanoid looking thing. And he says he didn't see it move, that he wasn't sure if, you know, what he saw was real. He till this day, like, he doesn't like bringing it up. He says it happens, but he doesn't like bringing it up because he doesn't have concrete evidence on what it is that he actually saw. It could have been multi, it could have, yes, it could have been an alien, or he says it could have been a doll or, you know, something to, to basically see what could fit into the ship or maybe Jim just trying to throw him off trying, you know, if he ever decided to come out in public and, you know, you start talking about stuff like this, people are just going to be like, no, you're crazy. Like what the hell? So I'm kind of wondering if that aircraft, you know, if it wasn't in his mind, he thought, man, they're just messing with me. Um, This isn't real. They're, they're just trying to like throw me off. They, they want me to believe that this is something real. So, you know, if I ever do uh, come out to the public with this, they're going to call me crazy because I'll be like, yes, I was in an alien aircraft and people are just going to assume that you're crazy. That is uh, until he actually got to witness uh, a flight test with one of these things. Like the. um, He says there were multiple different ones. This wasn't the one that he was working on, but he got to see a, a test flight. So basically someone got on it and they didn't really drive it around. All they basically did was turn it on and it would hover for a little bit. Cause 
Um, they didn't know if it completely worked, but they yes, they were able to turn on this aircraft and um, hover it a couple feet up into the sky. And he, this just blew him away. He was all in. He was like, yo, this is not from this world. He was all in in his work. And he believed, yes, this, these are aliens. So obviously that he's getting excited about his work. He's on, he's a hundred percent in it. He's super excited every day to go into work. And then something tragic happens in his life. So like I had said earlier, he didn't know it at the time, but he was under surveillance. So his phone was tapped. So he didn't know but um every day basically when he would go to work, his wife was cheating on him and the government, like his job knew about it. And they were scared. So he didn't even find out through his wife. His job actually told him, hey, listen, your wife's cheating on you. We feel like you're going to find out and this is going to make you unstable. Like, we feel like you're going to go and do something crazy. <clears throat> so they basically told him, you're kind of like off the project right now. Um, you know, deal with your personal life and we'll contact you. So obviously this just blows like... He basically lost his job. He found out his wife's cheating on him, and he doesn't know what to do with his life. And it goes months and months, and he hears nothing. <clears throat> Sorry, he doesn't hear anything from his job. No one's contacting him. He doesn't know anything. He's thrown out of the loop. So what does he do? <clears throat> He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to start telling people what the hell I was doing at this place. So obviously, he tells his close friends, hey, listen, don't go and say this to people, but I've been working in alien aircrafts. How would you feel if someone told you? Like, if your best friend came up to you and like, hey, man, aliens are real. I work with them. You're going to call them crazy. And be like, yo, what kind of shit are you on? Because I want some. But he tells them, he's like, no, I have proof. Like, I can, I know when they do these t uh, flight tests, I can go out to the desert and show you guys. <clears throat> so what does he do? He starts taking, little by little, he starts taking his friends. And his friends start seeing that this is real. They were like, oh, shit. So, obviously, his friends tell their friends. And then they tell their friends. And it becomes, like, a whole thing. Like, he talks about how, like, he would have barbecues out in the desert with, like, RVs and campers. And people waiting to see this. So, obviously, he's going to get caught. And what happens? He gets caught. He gets caught. They tell him, like, yo, you signed uh, an NDA. You knew you weren't supposed to tell anybody about this. You're completely fired, and you cannot come out to the public and tell them about this, or we will ruin your life. That's what he says that they told him. And, you know, you kind of have to believe that they did because um, after that happens, it's as if they kind of erase everything about him. And what do I mean by that? So he goes, he him trying to defend himself, thinking like, man, they're going to try to kill me or something. He goes and tells um, the local news about what it is that is happening in this base. And, you know, they're asking for credentials. They're asking. He tells them, I went to this school. I graduated with these degrees. Um, this is where I worked before the base. And I, I'll tell you that I worked at the base. So, you know, like any reporter, they have to go and, you know, they have to investigate. They have to verify that this guy isn't just some crazy person off the street. So they went to these schools and they had no record of this guy whatsoever. It's as if he didn't even exist. They were like, yo, no person 
named Bob Lazar has ever graduated or has ever attended a class in these universities. He tells him about like um the place where he worked at Los Almos. He goes there once again. They have no record. They have no recollection. They have no idea who he is. Like they just completely erased this person. So this is what starts scaring him. Luckily for this guy, he kept receipts. Uh, he he was adamant. Like everything that ha- involved him, he would he would uh keep and um sorry. He would put up in a mantle. He, uh, I feel like he gives off a little, like, he's a little conceited at times whenever you hear him speak. Like, he's very kind of into himself, even though he wouldn't admit it. But he had, like, a kind of like a shrine. And, like, he went and showed him. He's like, look, um, the, this is all happened. And the main thing, like, well, the one little thing that they were able to find um, public about him was that news article about him putting the, the jet engine. Because on the on the news article, they call him a physicist and they they give him they list all his credentials. So there's that. Um, obviously, people will come out and uh, dispute that news article. But that was the 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 only thing that kind of defended him. Even till this day, even if you Google him, they call him a self-proclaimed physicist. They don't even call him a physicist. They call him self-proclaimed saying like, oh, he calls himself that. But there is no evidence that he is. Which is very, very interesting. Because if what's the best way, you know, if you want to call someone a liar without calling them a liar, what do you do? You you destroy their reputation, obviously. You you make people question if this guy's intentions are real or not. Because after all this happens, um, apparently he got busted for his participa- uh, participation in, a, in like a prostitute ring. Um, he was doing fraud. He was apparently he was selling like chemical um chemicals to like people on the internet and stuff. So, you know, take all these things, you know, with a grain of salt. It's it's it, his story is very interesting for two aspects. One was his story has always been consistent. Like he's never uh wavered from his original story it's always been the same and there's two things um that he would he spoke about since the very beginning that have come out recently as truth one of the things that he spoke about in this secret base was the way to get in was they had like um this device that you basically like read i believe it was like your handprint or something that you would put your hand and it would scan it, and that's how you would get inside. You know, this is something that sounds like from Star Wars or something, like some sci- sci-fi device. And the government recently came out and said, yeah, we, we have something like that. So this guy was talking about it back in the 80s. Everyone's calling him crazy. And then recently, the government was like, uh, yeah, that we actually do have that technology. So right off the bat, you have that. And then you have the, the actual thing that he was working on, which was Element 15 which was at the time something that wasn't even in the periodic table. And recently it got put on like people were calling it something fake that did something that didn't even exist. And now it's something that's in science books. So, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. If you want to believe Bob, if you don't, it's all up to you. To me, it's uh, aliens is a very weird subject because it, changes the way we see the universe and life i think that's one of the reasons why you know the powers that be 
they know, obviously, they know the truth. They know it, it, there's things out there in the universe because it's it's one or the other. It's either we're alone in this universe, in this ever-expanding, infinite universe, which is, in its own way, very scary to be alone. Or, yes, there are things out there. And the question is, do they know that we exist? Have they been here before? Have they interfered? Are we here because of them? And the main question why I know a lot of people don't want to believe in aliens is it all comes down to religion. Because one of the main things about the Bible is that, you know, we were created in God's image. So what happens if we were created in his image? We find out that aliens are real. They look nothing like us. If God created us, who created them? So I'm going to leave you with that thought. So time for the personal story. Like I said, this is a, this is not a story that involves me, but it, it involves someone that I'm very close to. And sadly, this person really isn't uh, around anymore. They didn't pass away or anything like that. I just don't really speak to them. Personal things, you know, happened and it ended very badly. But this is a story that I think I'm, it's always going to stay with me because, you know, this person, they gained nothing from telling me this. Um, I know they weren't lying because I could see the fear and the sadness um, and I could hear it in their voice and I could see it in their face. And it was something that like very horrified them. And I wouldn't be surprised if it still affects them to this day. So this is the story. Um, Once again, like uh, like last episode, when I told the personal story, I'm going to try my best not to um, let people know who it is. I think I did a good job with that one because a lot of people uh, questioned me about the last story. And they were like, was it a boy or was it a girl? And I was like, yep, I'm not going to say anything. So once again, I'm going to try my best not to say anything with this story. So it begins. Let me give you a little backstory. Um, Like I said, the person was really close to me. Um, This was... I want to say maybe my our, my senior year. And person uh, I've known since I was a child. They've been around since my childhood. Uh, we got really close uh, my senior year. Like, we would hang out, like, every other weekend. Uh, I, I introduced this person to my friends, became part of my group. And I remember this one day, Um, he tells me, yo, you want to um, you want to sleep over? Uh, my my mom's gonna be in Nicaragua. They're not. Uh, I'm gonna have the house to myself. We could throw Gettys. Just you know, if you want to stay over, stay over. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, the weekend gets there. Um, he tells me, yo, so are you gonna sleep over? And I'm like, oh, I don't know yet, but if you want to hang out, like let's hang out. He's like, all right, cool. Uh, we hang out. Um, and I'm not really feeling. I kind of want to go home. And he's like, yo, you want to sleep over? And now I, I tell him. Mm. No, not not really. I think I want to go home. And the person's like, no, come on, sleep over. Like, look, look at all the space I have. It's cool if you sleep over. I'll, I'll take you home tomorrow because I didn't have a car at the time. And I'm still like, oh, I don't know. Like, I think I want to go home. I have a bunch of stuff to do tomorrow. And this person was like, please, please, like, sleep over. I, I kind of don't want to be alone. Um, I'll take you straight, like, early in the morning, I promise. I was like, okay, sure. So I slept over. Um, I noticed this person. Um, he had a two-story house, and we fell asleep in the in the living room, which was weird. I thought this person was gonna sleep in the room. 
Saturday comes. I tell him, yo, can you take me home? He's like, sure. Take him home. And he, as we're driving, he's like, hey, um, do you want to sleep over tonight again? And I was like, no, I slept over. I slept over last night. Like, it, like I, like I told you, bro, I have a lot of stuff to do. I, I gotta get um caught up in schoolwork. It, I don't think it's gonna be possible. To, and this is when they were like, they tell me like, yo, like, please, I, I really, really don't want to be alone. And like, it was super weird because like, it, it kind of looked like, it kind of sounded like he was like begging me to sleep over. And I asked him like, yo, is everything okay? Like, you good? What's, what's up? And he's like, no, I'm fine. It's just, just let me know, please. Like, if you can find any way to sleep over, like, just please sleep over. And, you know, I got concerned. I was like, man, this is weird. Like, this is someone I've known since I was a kid. And he was like the toughest person I knew. Like, I never saw saw this person scared or anything. So I was, I was in, I was intrigued. I was like, man, you know what? Like, this person's like basically like begging me to sleep over. It's, it has to be for a good reason. So I tell my mom, obviously my mom knows who this person is. And I tell him the situation, like, hey, this person's like home alone. Like, I, is it cool if I spend the weekend over there? She was like, yeah, of course. Like, what the hell? You don't even have to ask. So I tell him, I'm like, yo, I, I'm going to sleep over all weekend. So you're not alone. The person gets super happy. They're like, my God, thank you so much. Like, I appreciate it. I get to their house. And once again, I'm noticing that we're still sleeping in his living room. And I tell the person, I'm like, yo, if you want, like, go sleep in your room. Like, I feel bad you here. Like, like I'm fine. Like, I'll sleep in the couch. You can go sleep in your room. And the person was like, like, nah, I'm good. Like, uh, I'm more comfortable down here. And I think that's when I started, like, noticing, like, little things. I was like, man, you know what? Like, I've been over this person's house a lot, and I don't think I've ever seen them go into the room. I don't think I've ever been inside the room. What the hell? And I started looking around his living room, and I started seeing his clothes, his shoes, like stuff that you'd find, you know, obviously in a room he has in his living room. And then I questioned, I'm like, hey, um, you know, you don't have to tell me or anything, but why, um, why is there stuff down here? Like, what's up with your room? Like, are you guys using it for storage or something? And he gets really quiet. He gets very, very quiet. And... All right, you know, I I've noticed I've been saying the the pronoun. So it, it was a guy, it was um it was a cousin of mine. Some people know who he is, some don't. Um, but yes, he was a guy cousin of mine. He um he gets very quiet, which is very out of character for him. And I asked him, like, are you are you okay? I'm getting like a little worried. And he just looks at me and he asks something very, very strange. He asked me. Do you believe in aliens? And at first, this kind of throws me off. And I get like a little upset because I'm like, yo, I'm trying to have like a like a legit conversation with you. And he's like, no, no, do you do you believe in, in aliens? Like this is this is serious. And I, I kind of smirk and I laugh a little and I'm like, no. And he's tells me, he's like, I I believe in aliens. And he goes on to tell me the story. So like I like I always say. This is not my story. This is a story that was told by me. I personally believe it because I personally know the person. So I know they, to, up to that point, they had never lied to me. I They were very by the books. They were someone that I respected and trusted with my life. So I know that this is something that they genuinely believe they went through. So this is their story. 
he says that he was in his room and he was uh, he was sleeping. It was late at night, and he just remembers he's sleeping, and then he's awake. It's not one of those like you know you wake up in the morning you gotta like rub your eyes and like get adjusted to your room. It's like if he blinked, it's as if he went to sleep and just snapped out of it. He was awake. He was wide awake, and he was in his room and he could see everything in his room. Like his eyes didn't need to adjust to the darkness. He's thinking to himself, "Is it morning already? It can't be morning because it's the sun's out. Like it's really bright." In my room, like he could see everything. He could see his desk, his TV, um, his window. He could see everything that's in his room. And he he has a clock there, and he sees the clock, and he says it was around two something, like two thirty ish. And he's like, "Damn, that's very weird. Why is why is the sun out? Or what's that light coming through through my window? Because it's so bright that it's literally illuminating everything in his room. And that's." When he starts getting scared, because he's like, wait, what light is that? Like, his window, basically, like, all you can see out his window was the condominium right next to him. There was no lights. There was no light post. There was nothing. There was no way that there could be light coming into it. And that's when he starts getting scared, because he's like, wait, what light is that? And then he starts hearing this humming sound that's getting bigger and bigger, and it feels like he feels like it's vibrating his bed he feels everything vibrating in his room even his body and this scares him and that's when he notices that he can't move he feels like he's glued to his bed he he can't move anything he can't all he can move is his eyes he this freaks him out he's trying to move his arms his leg he cannot move he cannot get off his bed he could feel tears running down his eyes. He sees that the light is getting brighter and brighter. This is, he just has no idea what's going on. And then the light disappears. It vanishes. And he's complete darkness in his room. He still can't move. And he starts hearing, like I said, he lived on a two-story um house. And his room was in the second floor. And his room, like right outside it was the stairs that led downstairs. And he starts hearing footsteps on coming up from the first floor up. And he's begging, he's praying that it's either his mom or his dad that or his sister, that it's someone that he knows that is probably going to bed. But then he starts hearing multiple footsteps. And it's weird because it's super loud. It's louder than it should be. And it's bang, bang, bang. And he just... Still can't move. His eyes are wide open. He could see, he could feel his tears running down his cheeks. He is so fucking afraid. And then his door opens and he can't see his door, but he hears it open and he feels all these presents going into the room. And then complete darkness. He can't remember anything else. He just. He doesn't know what went into his room. He doesn't know if it was a dream. He just remembers waking up the next day. And he told me, yo, I haven't, I haven't been inside my room ever since. And I asked him, I asked him, when did this happen? And he told me that this had happened seven years ago. That this happened when he was a kid. And I told him, I'm like, yo, you haven't been in your room for seven years? 
And he was like, I promise you, the only way I go into my room is if it's daytime and I know for sure that there's people in the house and the door remains open. He refused to go into that room at night. This is something that haunted him, like, basically half his life since he was a kid. This was something that was engraved in his mind. And I I was blown away. I had never heard a story like this. And this didn't sound like something that was made up. Like, he, I could feel like he was holding back tears when he was telling me this story. This is something that he felt happened to him. And he had no explanation for it. And I asked him, um, I asked him, like, did has something like this happened again? And he looked at me and he's like, sort of. And that scared me even more. And I'm like, do, do you want to talk about it? And he tells me um, that he started sleeping downstairs and that on random nights he would wake up, not see the light, but hear the humming of like a of something hovering over his house and then hear footsteps coming down down the stairs like he felt like it was like as something was like looking for him and that sensation of not being able to move i know most of you are are saying man this kind of sounds like um like sleep paralysis and i even i even told him i'm like man like this sounds like like I had recently found out about sleep paralysis. So I was telling him, I'm like, man, it's funny that you're telling me all this. <coughs> Sorry. This sounds like sleep paralysis. And he was like, man, I, I hope it's even imagine he was hoping that was sleep paralysis, which is something that's super horrifying, something that's legit. He was like, I'm hoping it is because the alternative is something even scarier that, you know, there are aliens like looking for me. Him telling me this was, you know, this wasn't like something I was hearing on on TV or a story from a friend or a friend. This was someone, a family member, like telling me this. And, you know, till this day, like, you know, like I said, I, I don't really speak to this person anymore. Like personal things happen. And, you know, I hope that he was able to overcome that because when I was when this person was still in my life, this was something that w- was affecting them. Um he said that it would randomly happen that it was like sleep paralysis episodes bit very intensified and very very scary so that is it for this episode uh hopefully you know that that story creeped you out cuz it was definitely something that has always been on my mind when it comes to aliens um so halloween is coming up halloween is on monday and hopefully i'm able to record uh the last uh the last uh, part of the Scared the Shit Out of Me series. So for the next segment, I'm continuing, like I said, the 100 scariest movies of all time. And I really hope you guys are enjoying the list. And um, I know if you guys have been asking to um, put out the list um, so you guys can see the names, uh, I promise I'm working on that. And so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. So here it is, uh, the continuation of the scariest movies of all time. All right, so here we go, continuing the countdown. So at number 60, this is going to be from 60 to 41. So at number 60, I have just one of the wildest movies you can possibly see. I have 1977's House. 
In an effort to avoid spending time with her father and his creepy new lover, young Gorgeous resolves to visit her aunt's remote mansion with six of her closest friends in tow, including the musical-inclined Melody and the geeky professor, Gorgeous arrives at the estate where supernatural events occur almost immediately. A severe head takes flight, household appliances come to life, and a portrait of a cat seems to contain an evil spirit. This movie is wild. The best way I can, ex I can even explain this movie is an acid trip gone wrong. This is um this came uh this is a Japanese horror movie. It came out during a time period where Toho Studios wanted to just, you know, show people something that they had never seen before. And this movie does it. Uh it contains humor, horror elements, just complete wackiness. And for some reason, like somewhere like in the beginning of the movie, you have like a music video. Like they even had they did like a theme song for this movie. If you guys get a chance, I highly, highly recommend it. But just go in, just, you know, put on your beer goggles or something. Like, <laughs> take some substance if you want to, but watch this movie. At number 60, I have House. At number 59, I have 1931's Dracula. The dashing, mysterious Count Dracula, after hypnotizing a British soldier, Ranfield, into his mindless slave, travels to London, takes up residence in an old castle. Soon Dracula begins to wreak havoc, sucking the blood of young women and turning them into vampires. When he sets his sights on Mina, the daughter of a prominent doctor, vampire hunter Van Helsing is enlisted to put a stop to the Count's never-ending bloodlust. One, uh, you know, if there is a Mount Rushmore of, you know, iconic uh, horror um characters you know you have the universal monsters and then you know it gets changed up but these are like the first horror icons and dracula is definitely in the middle of it he is you know bella lugosi was is dracula he um people still do the voice they wear the cape that is the dracula that when people think vampires they they assume that they assume the you know the suave eastern european um his accent, just his suaveness, just, just epic. Just this is obviously a movie from the '30s, and I I watched it not too uh not long ago, and it's it's goofy because it it's funny to see things that used to scare people, and this movie like it's it was a book turned into a play, and then made into a a movie by Universal, but you could see where, you know, it's a product of its time where everything is basically told in shadows. You don't really see much. Everything is just like, oh, look over there. There's something weird over there. Or, oh, my God, what is that? It's stuff like that. But, you know, this movie obviously has to be on the list. It's iconic in its own way. It's, you know, it's one of the, the reasons why vampires are so popular day and age. It's because it had to start somewhere. And it started off with Nosferatu. And... It, you know, Bella Lugosi got that character, made it his own, and it's something that, you know, people still love to this day. So at 59, I have Dracula. So 58, I have one of the movies that I didn't know if to put up because I had recently, like, watched it for the first time. But it was so good that I had to put it on here because this movie was just 
so scary. And number 58, I have the Argentinian 2017 movie, Terrified. So paranormal researchers investigate strange events in a neighborhood in Buenos Aires. Yo, I found out about this movie through another countdown that I had been uh, watching, which um, Shudder, the the app Shudder that focuses on horror, they uh, have been doing, they recently ended it, but they were doing the 101 scariest movie moments. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, I was not a fan of the list. Um, There was a lot of movies that I feel were completely like forgotten. There was so many good movies that didn't make the list and they had questionable stuff on the list that I was like, man, really? Like, does this even deserve to be here? Um, and luckily this was one of the movies that they did have. Um, I'm always interested in finding new horror. And this was one of them that I hadn't heard. I knew most of the movies on the list, but this was one that just by like the little clips that they were showing, I was like, man, I, I got to watch this. And I watched it and it is so good. Uh, the movie, yes, it is foreign. It's in, in Spanish. The So it's Argentinian Spanish, too, you know, with their type of accent. But if you can get over the fact that and you do have to read subtitles, obviously, watch this movie. Because it from beginning to end, it is very, very scary. I would have probably put this uh, movie, you know, higher on the list. But I just, you know, these are all movies that I love and that I've watched constantly. And this is one of the few movies, I think maybe the only movie on the list, that I had recently just watched, and I had to put it on here. At number 58, I have Terrified. 57, I have 1972's The Last House on the Left. So teenagers Mary and Phyllis head to the city for a concert, then afterwards go looking for drugs. Instead, they find a gang of escaped convicts who subject them to a night of torture and rape. Yo, Wes Craven is the god of horror movies. This is a man that, you know, gave us Nightmare on Elm Street, gave us um, Scream, gave us so much iconic horror sequences. But, you know, he had to start somewhere. And, man, he came out with a bang. I've heard stories where, you know, a lot of movie theaters didn't even want to show this movie just on the trailer alone, just the subject, this was a movie that, man, it really felt like they were people were watching a snuff film. It was so gritty and so intense. And, you know, they this is one of those movies where, like, they, they put you in these scenes. Like, you feel for these girls. And the way it's filmed, it's very, very insane. Like, it was a very, like, graphic movie for its time. Even till day, like, I know, and I think it's still banned in some countries, but... Given all that, it's still a good movie because it goes from like this horrific thing to just a badass, like it's all about revenge. Um, this definitely it, it got remade. Um, I want to say maybe in the 2010s, and that the the remake was good. I, I didn't I didn't mind it wasn't bad. So maybe not watch the original, but you can probably watch that, kind of get like a, a feel for it. But yes, at number 57, I have the last house on the left. At 56, I have 2012's Sinister. Two crime writer Ellison Oswald is in a slump. He hasn't had a bestseller in more than 10 years and is becoming increasingly desperate for a hit. So when he discovers the existence of a snuff film showing the deaths of a family, he vows to solve the mystery. 
He moves his own family into the victim's home and gets to work. However, when old film footage and other clues hint at the presence of a supernatural force, Ellison learns that living in that house may be fatal. Wow, this movie. I know a lot of people are probably going to feel like it should be more down on the list, but it's just like, I feel like from here on out, you know, we're halfway through, we're about to get halfway through the countdown and these, all these movies are iconic in their own way. This one is definitely a modern masterpiece. Oh my God, this movie is scary. Um, It relies, the thing, it it's kind of like a product of nowadays where it focuses a lot on jump scares. And this one probably has like the best jump scares because they just a lot of the time just come out of nowhere. And this movie does something that I personally like. They uh, something that the Japanese horror movies do where Americans don't at times is they show you the ghosts. Like you're seeing what's haunting them. And it is very, very terrifying. And, you know, like I said, I love when horror movies put kids in, in danger because that just flat out means there are no rules to this movie. And that's basically what this movie is about. So at number 56, I have Sinister. 55, I have 1977's The Hills Have Eyes. Another Wes Craven cult classic. This movie is about cannibalistic mountain folk, including the Carter family, who are on the trail of stranded vacationers in the arid south southwest Californian desert. This is another one of Wes Craven's movies that got remade, which in its own way is very scary. Um, the the modern one uh, has to do, you know, with test sighting and uh, the effects of radiation which is something that that's real, something that people didn't even probably don't even know about. But, you know, there are areas in Nevada and California where you can't even go to because of the radiation. You know, before we dropped the bombs in Japan, they had to test them. And where did they test them? Test them out here in the desert. This one is different. This one is more of a, you know, people gone wild, these weird mountain folks. And Man, this movie is insane. It's the same premise as the remake, if you've seen it. And, you know, that scene alone where um, where the family, like, you know, the mothers are attacked in the RV is just so graphic and so intense that it stays with people. And that is the reason why this movie is so iconic. So at number 55, I have The Hills Have Eyes. 54. I have 2014's It Follows. At, after carefree teenager Jay sleeps with her new boyfriend, Hugh, for the first time, she learns that she is the latest recipient of a fatal curse that is passed from victim to victim via sexual intercourse. Death, Jay learns, will creep towards her as either a friend or a stranger. Jay's friends don't believe her seemingly paranoid ravings until they too begin to see the phantom assassins and band together to help her flee or defend herself. This movie is very dear to me for the simple fact that it, 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 to me, it ushered in the era of indie horror. This was one of the movies that was on the internet in the early uh, 2010s that people were like, man, you guys got to watch this movie. But because what added more to the lore was that it wasn't a, a major release. It was, you know, shown in here or there theaters. I remember I was working at the movies um, 
at that time when it came out. And I kept asking my managers and my supervisors, like, yo, are we going to get it? Are, are we going to get it? And finally, because I worked at like a, a shitty movie theater, so we didn't get, like, every single movie. And they were like, yeah, we're going to get it, and we're only going to show it for, like, a week, basically, for, like, a weekend. And I was so excited. And I remember, like, I went to watch. I asked people if they wanted to watch it. I Nobody had even heard of it. I went to go watch it by myself. And I went to the movie theater, and it was just me and, like, four other people in there. And they were, like, hella excited, like, to see it. And, man, this movie fucking delivers. It's something, you know, that affects, like, people our age and people younger. It's, you know, sexually trans- transmitted diseases, something that um it's very big to this day. And it puts it in a horror element. And, man, this movie is it's so fucking good. This is definitely one of those movies that I feel like in a couple of years, if I ever decide to make this list again, this is definitely going to be way lower in it. It's going to definitely probably be in like the 30s or something because this movie is very, very scary and it's done so well. So at number 54, I have It Follows. 53, I have 1982's Poultry Guys. Strange and creepy happenings beset an average California family, the Freelings. Steve, teenage Dana, eight-year-old Robbie, and five-year-old Carol Ann start seeing ghosts through the television set. Initially friendly and playful, the spirits turn unexpectedly menacing when Carol Ann goes missing. Steve and Diane turn to a parapsychologist and eventually an exorcist for help. This is basically what this movie is, what happens when a major studio gets behind a horror movie. This was a movie that was written by Steven Spielberg, directed by, oh man, right now I'm like blanking on the name. It was a great director that they brought in. Man, I should have, ah, this is going to bother me, but damn, that they brought in a great director and this movie is amazing. This is, I love this movie. This is one of the movies that definitely remind me of my childhood. And like I said, like I've said constantly, you're probably going to keep hearing me say is it's scary, bro. Like seeing these movies as a kid and seeing that the kids are the victims. And that's what this movie's about. It's basically Carol Ann, the main uh, girl, um, being haunted by these ghosts. And who can forget that iconic scene of, you know, the little girl walking towards the, the television set, putting her hands on it, and saying, they're here. Man, this movie's good. From, from the killer tree to the killer clown, like, oh, God, this movie is so good. And it holds up. It definitely holds up. It's funny at its moments. Greg T. Nelson does a great job playing the dad figure. It's it's great. I, I love this movie for sure. And number 53, I have Poultry Guys. Okay, at 52, I have The Lost Boys. The movie came out in 1987. Whenever someone asks me, like, man, what is, you know, a lot of people will tell you that the 80s, is the pinnacle of cinema. People will be like, man, you think the 80s movies, you think, you know, The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller. And I'm like, nah, fuck all that. I think The Lost Boys. Teenage brothers Michael and Sam move with their mother to a small town in Northern California. While the younger Sam meets a pair of kindred spirits in a geeky comic book, nerds um, Edward and Alan, and the angst-ridden Michael soon falls for Star, who turns out to be in the thrall to David, 
the leader of a local gang of vampires. Sam and his new friends must save Michael and starve from the undead. This, to me, is probably like my favorite vampire movie. It's not like your typical horror, but it's basically like a teenage movie with horror elements in it. Because you have the the Corys who are like the big names in the 80s. You have like all these good looking kids. All like, you know, like it's basically like a he- like a hair metal video come to life. It's a movie that people still talk about to this day because of how awesome it is. You have Ted from Bill and Tell- Ted in it as a vampire. This movie just screams out 80s. And I'm all here for it. I love this movie. If you guys haven't seen it. This is one of the movies in the list that I highly, highly recommend. Number 52's The Lost Boys. 51, I have yet another vampire movie. I have 2008's Let the Right One In. When Oscar, a sensitive, bullied 12-year-old boy living with his mother in suburban Sweden, meets his new neighbor, the mysterious and moody Ellie, they strike up a friendship. Initially reserved with each other, Oscar and Ellie slowly form of close bond, but it soon becomes apparent that she is no ordinary young girl. Eventually, Ellie shares her dark, macabre secret with Oscar, revealing her connections to a string of bloody local murders. Yo, this movie is something else, guys. This this is the movie that I always recommend because, you know, people need to appreciate that there are other countries that can do horror very well. And this movie does it so well. This movie is so fucking good. Um, I know um, people have probably not seen this one, the, the Swedish version. People have probably seen the Chloe Moretz, which I think it was called uh, Let Me In. Came out a couple years back, which it's good. Don't get me wrong. I thought I was kind of like, man, which one should I put on the list? Should it be Let Me In or Let the Right One In? But... This one just, I had to. This is a movie that, you know, touches on very different subjects. It talks about, you know, stuff that kids deal with, like bullyism, you know, sexuality, and just, you know, trying to fit in. And I'm pretty sure, like I said, with um, It Follows, this is another movie that I feel like in years to come, it's probably going to be more down on, on the list. But for right now, I have to put it at 51 but you guys, if you guys get a chance, go and watch it. You have to watch these foreign films, guys. They are so well done, and they're creepy in their own ways. At 51, I have let the right one in. And here we are, halfway, man. I, I want to thank everyone that's, like, stuck and actually, like, been hearing my countdown because, man, I, I worked hard on this, and I'm, I'm really hoping that you guys are enjoying it. And... Here we are. We are halfway. So at number 50, I have 1986, The Fly. When scientist Seth Brundle completes his teleportation device, he decides to test its abilities on himself. Unbeknownst to him, a housefly slips in during the process, leading to a merger of man and insect. Initially, Brundle appears to have undergone a successful teleportation but the fly's cells begin to take over his body. As he becomes increasingly fly-like, Brundle's girlfriend is horrified as the person she once loved deteriorates into a monster. 
Cronenberg at his finest. This movie is so fucking gross that it's beautiful. Oh my god, there are I don't even know what scene to talk about when it comes to the fly. You have the dream sequence, that's all I'm going to leave it at. If you don't even have to watch the movie just for, uh for the the girls listening, for all the women listening, just type in the fly uh um pregnancy scene like oh my god this movie bro this movie like is just constantly like man it can't get any worse than this and Cronenberg just pushes you to the edge where you're just grossed out to the very end where you're kind of rooting for this guy and bro you have Jeff Goldblum in this movie that that alone that's all I'm just gonna leave it at that Jeff Goldblum probably like the weirdest quirkiest human of all time in this, I love him in this. Gina Davis is amazing in this. Go and watch this movie as soon as possible. Number 50, The Fly. 49. And I don't know how people are going to feel about this one. People are probably going to be like, yo, this should be way, way lower in your list. I have South Korea's epic train to Busan. A man is in, A man and his daughter and other passengers become trapped on a speeding train during a zombie outbreak in South Korea. That's all you got to say. This movie is... Whew, this movie shows you how mo- all zombie movies should be. This is how all zombie movies... If Night of the Living Dead is the beginning and Dawn of the Dead is the insane uh, insane older brother, this is the your weird cousin from Nicaragua that shows you weird shit. Yo, this movie is just a nonstop roller coaster of anxiety. At it, this is what all movies should be. It's insane that Koreans are the ones they're they're winning right now when it comes, bro. With with Squid Games, with this, with the whaling, they are on top right now. Anything that has to do with you know with mystery, with um with thrillers, with horror. The Asians are winning, guys. We, we've lost. They are destroying it, man. They're getting elements from our movies and taking them to, I don't even know, to higher levels. Things that you wouldn't even imagine. 49, I have trained to Busan. Number 48, I have 2015's The Witch. Set in, in 1630, New England, panic and despair envelops a farmer his wife, and their children when the youngest son, Samuel, suddenly vanishes. The family blames Thomason, the oldest daughter, who was watching the boy at the time of his disappearance. With suspicion and paranoia mounting, twin siblings Mercy and Jonas also suspect Thomason of witchcraft, testing the clan's faith, loyalty, and love to one another. Man, I still... This once again another movie that's close to my heart. This one, like I just, I still vividly remember going to watch this. Um, I went to go watch this movie uh, on a date, and I feel the person I was with was just so angry. She, the person was like, she was like, "Why did you bring me to watch this weird ass movie?" I was, I was so captivated by this movie. I thought it was one of the greatest things I had ever seen. This movie, I am a big fan of movies that are just unsettling. Movies, you know, I feel like 
day and age, like a lot of movies, like they kind of like, you know, give the audience a break with a little humor in them. And this one, there is no no room for humor. This movie is very, very by the books, um, very uh impressed by Robert Eggers' way of, you know, he actually went and did research on witchcraft and the way people spoke in those days of Puritan times. And you could see it in the movie, the way it's done. Like, you kind of have to watch this movie with subtitles because you're just, a lot of the time, you're just like, wait, what are they, what are they saying? Because it's like, you know, the Puritan time English. And this movie introduces us to Anya Taylor, who is one of the greatest actors right now. She is so fucking good. I loved her in Queen's Gambit. I even liked her in New Mutants, even though that movie was a piece of shit. She's just fucking amazing. And I think she's, like, from Miami, so, you know, we got to rep. So we got to rep Anya. She's a fucking badass. And she does such a great job in this movie. You fucking feel for her to the very end. And I feel like a lot of the people either love the end or hate the end. But this one, for sure, this is one of the movies that we're going to be talking about for decades to come. It was perfect in every single way. Number 48, The Witch. All right, at number 47, I have 2002's Signs. Everything that Farmer Graham has assumed about the world is changed when he discovers a message intricated in patterns of circles and lines carved into his crops. As he investigates the unfolding mystery, what he finds will forever alter the lives of his, of his brother and his children. A unique story that explores the mysterious real-life phenomena of crop signs and the effects they have on one man and his family. This is a movie that I know traumatized people. People that I personally know that they do not like talking about this movie because it fucked them up. That scene with Joaquin Phoenix in the in the closet with the TV set still haunts people to this day. Because just you just don't see that shit coming, man. Like, that, bro, Shyamalan does such a great way, man. Like, he was so fucking good in, early in his career. Like, you know, he went on and went did Avatar and shit like that. And, like, and the happening, oh, God, like, what a piece of shit movie. I should probably make a list of, like, the worst horror movies. And the happening is definitely, like, top ten for sure. But you have movies like this where science, where, like, you can see the genius that Shyamalan is because... This is a movie with layers of theme and sign, like signs. Like it's a movie that I love talking about because it's a thinker, guys. It's you think it's about aliens, but it's way, way more than that. I definitely love this one. At forty-seven, I have signs. At forty-six, I have phantasm. The residents of a small town have begun to dying in under strange circumstances, leading young Mike to investigate. After discovering that the tall man, the town's mortician, is killing and reanimating the dead as zombies, Mike seeks help from his older brother, Jody, and the local ice cream man, Reggie. Working together, they try to lure and kill the, the tall man, all while avoiding his minions and deadly Silver's fears. This one, this is definitely, like, one of those movies where, um, you know, true horror fans are either on board or they're not. I personally love this movie. This is one of the few, there are few sci-fi horror movies. You have, you know, you have this, 
you have deep uh event horizon like it's very rare to find you know elements of uh science fiction and horror put together and done well and i personally feel like this movie does it uh it's i think it's streaming if you guys get a chance like i always tell people it's a movie from the 70s so you know the <laughs> the graphics and the the cgi isn't the best but it, it's good and it has some very very terrifying scenes in it at number 46 i have phantasm all right coming coming close to the end of the episode at number 45 i have the serpent and the rainbow yet another Wes craven movie on the list and this one definitely deserves to be there this movie is very very creepy especially for us hispanics um you know this is a movie that deals with uh with voodoo and you know elements of santeria the movie is basically about uh, a time of social and political unrest in haiti anthropologist dennis allen travels to a torn country to study a voodoo drug used in religious practices to turn victims into living zombies with the help of a witch doctor and a fellow researcher dennis pieces together the deadly mystery but as Dennis uncovers the secrets behind the mysterious powder, he must evade the Haitian authorities who view his research as a potential threat. I think what scares me the most about this movie is that there are elements that are based on true stories. This was actually something that was happening in Haiti, I believe, in the 80s and 90s where people were being buried alive. So yes, at number 45, I have The Serpent and the Rainbow. At 44, I have a modern classic, one of the movies that haunted people from my age until this day people still talk about. Number 44, I have 2010's Insidious. Parents take drastic measures when it seems their new house is haunted and their comatose son is possessed by a malevolent entity. James Wan is clearly the guy running the show when it comes to horror movies. And this, I know um, Saw is the movie that people mostly talk about because that's the first movie he directed. And I know people liked it. Me personally, I wasn't a fan of Saw. So I'm just letting you guys know, yeah, Saw's not going to be on my list for sure. I don't consider it in the top 100. Maybe 101, I would have put Saw, but... At one at the hundred for sure, I don't have Saw because I feel like he does have. I feel like it started like James Wan made his name with this fucking movie. This movie is oh, so good. It is a great story, great setting, great characters. You know, you have great act Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne. You have um, just horror icons making little cameos in it. And everyone will always talk about that scene when they're in the dinner table, when the mom's telling them about the dream that she had. I still remember watching this movie in the theater and afterwards just being so scared to go home because I remember my parents weren't home. I was home alone and I was like, fuck, bro, I don't want to be here in the dark. It's so creepy because this, bro, that demon, like, I, I want to know who designed that because, man, they did a great job of fucking terrifying, bro. And it was basically just Darth Maul on crack. 
but they it was done very well. At number 44, I have Insidious. 43, I have 1987's Near Dark. Cowboy K- Caleb Compton meets Gorgeous May at a bar, and the two have an immediate attraction. But when May turns to be a vampire and bites Caleb on the neck, their relationship gets complicated. Racked with a craving for human blood, Caleb is forced to leave his family and ride with May and her gang of vampires, including the evil Severin. Along the way, Caleb must decide between his new love of May and the love of his family. Yo, I love vampire movies. And this one does, it's basically like a Western with vampires. And this movie is fucking insane, man. If you're a fan of like road trip movies, like Jeepers Creepers and um, The Hitcher and Joyride, you have to watch Near Dark because it takes those movies to another element. You put the supernatural in them. You put vampires in it. And, you know, may he rest in peace, rest in peace uh, Bill Paxton in this movie is fucking great. And number 43, I have Near Dark. 42, I have 1980s The Changeling. Composer John Russell is vacationing with his family when a car accident kills his wife and daughter. Distraught with grief, Russell leaves his home in New York City for a giant secluded house near Seattle. Soon, Russell starts to feel the presence of a ghost, a boy who drowned in the bathtub there. This is the essential, this is what ghost stories should be. This movie is, you know... It's basically like a gothic. It's like something you would read in like an old book. And it's brought into like not modern, obviously, because it's in the 80s. But at its time, it was like the element of, you know, of uh, your typical ghost story. You know, you have the giant house instead of it being a castle or a giant mansion. You have this giant house um, and only one. It's one guy by himself dealing with all this. And, you know, George C. Scott is one of the greatest horror actors because his faces, his reactions are so fucking good. And till this day, like, you'll still see, like, whenever you see, um, you know, elements of oh, a ball rolling to you or something bouncing down the stairs, it's because it was from this movie. Like, this movie always gets, um, you know, homages or gets parodied. Because of that, because of that fucking scene with the ball, because it's something very scary. Like imagine throwing something away somewhere far from your house. And as soon as you get home, it's right there. So at number 42, I have the changeling. At number 41, I have the epic 1988 child's play. Gunned down by detective Mike Norris. Dying murderer Charles Lee Ray uses black magic to put his soul inside a doll named Chucky. Chucky that gets bought by Karen Barkley, who buys it for her young son, Andy. Uh, When Chucky kills Andy's babysitter, the boy realizes that the doll is alive and tries to warn people, but he is institutionalized. Now, Karen must convince the detectives of the murderer's doll's intention before Andy becomes Chucky's next victim. That word alone will haunt people till this very day. I feel like everyone has a story that they know 
someone or this person happens to them where they were scared by the good guy doll. Like, I've heard this story constantly. I don't know if it's real or not. Like, I always hear people, especially if they had, like, older siblings, that their brother had a Chucky doll and they would always mess with him with it. Because this movie haunted kids. And I I don't know what it is. I feel like it's it, it, I it's Brad Dourif, the voice of Chucky. I think he's what gives Chucky that push. Because you guys got to understand, this movie came out um during a time period where there were other uh, killer doll stuff. You had like Puppet Master. You had uh, Dolly Dearest. You had a movie called Dolls where it's all killer dolls, but these movies just got forgotten in time. And it's because of how good this movie was. It's a movie that like either some people don't understand why people like it because they're like, yo, it's a doll. Just kick it. But it's fucking, it's scary. Like, yo, like you're seeing this and this object just fucking moving to you with a knife. And it's so fucking well done. It's so creepy. I, I love it. That's I dressed up as Chucky for Halloween. I will continue loving these movies to the very end. I love all the Chucky movies. I have yet to see the series. I've heard good things. So I think eventually I will get to that because Brad Dourif did come back. So I and um who I feel like they I think they brought up other people from the original movie so i have to get on that bit this is the one that started it all this is what fueled kids nightmares number 41 child's play all right so i had said that it was gonna be from 60 to 41 but like i'm in a time budget here because of the app that i'm using so uh i'm gonna continue it um we're gonna continue with the countdown uh i will see to what number i get but like i had said like I only have one more episode and I was saving that for like the last 20. So for this part, this is basically like part two of the countdown. Um, I'm going to go try to go from number 40 to 21. So these are, in my opinion, the 40 greatest horror movies. These are all movies that I personally love that I always recommend. It's nothing but bangers from here on out. And we're going to start off with a banger. And number 40, I have it. Seven young outcasts in Derry, Maine are about to face their worst nightmares, an ancient shape-shifting evil that emerges from the sewers every 27 years to prey on the town's children. Banding together over the course of one horrifying summer, the friends must overcome their own personal fears to battle the murderous, bloodthirst clown known as Pennywise. So I, this one was tough because I didn't know if to pick the the 90s TV movie because I tried watching it recently and it kind of doesn't hold up. But Tim Curry is so fucking good as Pennywise. But honestly, I, I had I had to give it to the 2017 one because, man, that movie is so fucking scary. From beginning to end, it is just you don't know when the horror is going to come but when it comes it is done it's executed perfectly um i went to go watch this movie one of the movies i went to watch in the theater and i remember we went to uh i went with ashley and our friend emily we went to go watch it in imax so it was the giant screen and i remember vividly um the scene when the kids are all in the the garage and they're using the projector 
and the thing like starts malfunctioning and you start seeing Pennywise and he pops out from the screen. Oh my God. Like I remember I jumped, I fucking jumped from my seat of how scared I was. And I like, it was a packed theater and everyone was like throwing popcorn. Like everyone was screaming. It was, it was like a roller coaster. It was so great. And that's, you know, moments like that is what makes us love these movies. It's those experiences of, you know, man, I'm shitting breaks, but luckily the person next to me is also scared. And this movie is iconic. It's epic. It's it's a must watch during the Hollywood. Oh, sorry, the Hollywood, uh, Hollywood, Halloween fucking season. Ah, oh, sorry, I'm like super tired, bro. I've been talking. God, I don't even know how long this episode has been. But but yeah, number forty, I have it. Number thirty nine. I have 1981's Evil Dead. Ashley, also known as Ash Williams, is his girlfriend and three pals hike into the woods to a cabin for a fun night away. There they find an old book, the Necronomicon, whose text reawakens the dead when it's read out loud. Their friends inadvertently release a flood of evil and must fight for their lives or become one of the evil dead. Sam Raimi is a name that a lot of us love for the simple fact that he gave us Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. He gave us the original trilogy. But my love for him grew even more when I found out he was the one that directed the Evil Dead movies. Because these movies, ever since I saw them, I loved them because of how wacky, how the action in it. And just Bruce Campbell is amazing as, as Ash. He is the iconic horror hero you know him with the shotgun with the with the ripped hand and him injecting the the chainsaw like it's it's amazing it's something that till this day the remake was really good too i thought about putting it as well but but you guys will see like it was i ha- i think i have like the right amount of evil dead movies in in the countdown but this is the one that began it all it has some scenes that are so fucking scary. Like the scene where his girlfriend gets possessed is so terrifying. Like I said, all the movies from here on out, go and watch them. I will recommend a thousand percent. And this is definitely one of my favorites. Number 39, The Evil Dead. Number 38. As when I was doing the countdown, man, it was getting very hard, man. I was because these are all movies that that I love, man. And you know, it was tough. I was like, man, what movies can I put? And, you know, for my true horror listeners, this is probably going to upset them because they're going to be like, yo, this should be way, way lower. Some people put this in their top 10. Some uh, some people even put in their top five because of how iconic and some movie that is still spoken to about this day. At number 38, I have 1982's The Thing. In the remote Antarctica, a group of American researchers are disturbed at their base camp by a helicopter shooting a sledge dog. When they take the dog in, it brutally attacks human beings and canines in the camp, and they discovered that the beast can assume the shape of its victims. A resourceful helicopter pilot and the camp doctor... Hold on, sorry, I'm looking at my notes, guys. <laughs> camp doctor lead the camp crew in a desperate, gory battle against the vicious creature before it picks them all off one by one. The thing is people 
already loved John Carpenter because he introduced Michael Myers to us. And he could have just done that alone and he would have been, you know, synonymous with horror lore. But he was like, nah, I got more for you guys. And almost a decade after that, he throws this insane movie at us. The thing, you have Kurt Russell just being a fucking badass. Just, man, this movie is one of those, definitely one of those movies that is constantly getting ripped off, getting made fun of. Not in a in a bad way. They're obviously like paying homage because of how like epic the scenes are, and just man, like you guys gotta watch the animatronics. Like man, they did this very well for the time that it came out. This was like a time you know like everything had to be done by hand. Like CGI was computer like um was you know not something that was very used because it was so hard. So everything had to be done by hand. And the animatronic department in this movie, like, I think won awards because of how fucking good it was. It was just, this movie is, I, I love this movie. It is definitely one that I always recommend. I will defend it to the end because it's badass. Some people still claim the original, the black and white is more iconic, but no. You guys have to go and watch the 80s, The Thing. At number 37, I have 2017's Get Out. Now that Chris and his girlfriend Rose have reached the Meet the Parents milestone of dating, she invites him for a weekend getaway upstate with her parents, Missy and Dean. At first, Chris reads the family's overly accommodating behavior as nervous attempts to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship, but as the weekend progresses, a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he never would have imagined. Get Out is... This is one, one of the few moments where I felt like a hipster because I'm never going to forget this. When I first saw this trailer, I immediately knew that this movie was going to be iconic. I knew that this movie was going to get praise. I knew that this one was going to be considered a classic. And I remember a lot of my coworkers at the movie theater were like, no, bro, this looks like shit. This movie looks like it's going to be stupid. Like, people were shitting on it. And I knew, man. And especially people started shitting on it, especially when they found out who was directing, who wrote and directed the movie. And, you know, in Jordan Peele, like, who was the guy from, like, the S uh, the Comedy Central skit show of Ken Peele. People were like, yo, why is this guy making a horror movie? And this is the reason why. Because he had a story to tell, something that, you know, is very, very, um, a very touchy and important subject in modern, um, American times with, you know, with racism and the social statuses that people have to deal with. And this movie, this movie, what I loved mostly about it was that, yes, it is a movie that deals with racism, but it does it in a way that you just don't see coming. And he executes it so well. And this movie is from beginning to end, you're just, it's a mystery slash horror movie where you're like, man, what is happening? What is going to happen? What is going on? And all I can say is because I'm T-S-A, bro, that fucking, that fucking line alone is epic. And I will love this movie till the very end. Number 37, Get Out. 36. I have 1978's Dawn of the Dead. As hordes of zombies swarm the U.S., 
the terrified populace tries everything in their power to escape the attack of the undead, but neither cities nor the countryside prove safe. In Pennsylvania, radio station employee Stephen and his girlfriend Francine escape in the station helicopter uh, accompanied by two renegade SWAT members, Roger and Pete. The group retreats to a haven of an enclosed shopping center to make what could be humanity's last stand. George A. Romero is the godfather of zombies. He introduced he introduced us to zombie movies with Night of the Living Dead, where they weren't even called zombies. I think they were called ghouls back then. He um I don't know if he's the one that came up with the term zombies, but this is the guy that he makes the zombie movies. Him, Tom Savini, like you think zombies you have to you have to know those names like even if you're just getting into horror now like you have to put respect in those names george a romero tom savini because these movies man they are so out there when it comes to um the effects you gotta understand like tom savini did everything by hand this is a man that like you know he has his own school uh where he teaches people even though you know everything's mostly like cgi like he's still like super hardcore into like no you have to do everything by hand and he does it even till this day people still you know sadly he can't like work because i think he has like issues with his hands but even uh with movies like the black phone they they asked him to come in and just make the mask that the that the the villain wears because just you have to pay respect to to him and this is the movie where he showed off like this was a guy that would just stay at home and be like man I need to show the audience stuff that they can't even, that they haven't even thought of. And they do that with like the helicopter scenes, the way that they bite off chunks of meat from people's bodies. Like, I, I love this one. And this is like another one. Like, again, I was like, man, can I put the original or can I put the the remake? Because the remake in its own way is very, very scary. But I had to put the original. I just had to because, you know, if it wasn't for movies like like that, we wouldn't have the Dawn of the Dead of of this day and age. We wouldn't have The Walking Dead. Like this is the movie that made zombies cool. At number thirty five, I have nineteen nineties Jacob's Ladder. After returning home from the Vietnam War, veteran Jacob Singer struggles to maintain his sanity. Plagued by hallucinations and flashback, Singer rapidly falls apart as the world and the people around him morph and twist into disturbing images. Tim Robbins is so fucking good. This is a man that he was in Shawshank Redemption. And if you, I was interested to see, like, this was a movie that I want to say, like, I saw uh, a little later in my life. I, this was a movie that I always um, wanted to see because, um, like I had said uh, in the first episode when I started the countdown, um, one of my favorite things was uh, when Bravo did their version of the 100 scariest movies of all time. And this is one of the movies that always captivated me because of the dance scene. It's a scene where um, the main character is trying to dance with his girlfriend. And she's basically getting like groped up or like raped by like this lizard. Like you don't even see what this creature is. But like you see how it like tears into her. And like it's so sexual and so insane that it, it fucking it stays with you and i when i saw this movie like i was captivated by it. it it's a movie that deals with uh ptsd you know i have a lot of friends that are in the military it's and 
and I've worked with people that were in the military and they've had to t deal with PTSD. So it's a, it's a very like it's a very hard subject to touch on and this movie does it very well. And number 35 I have Jacob's Ladder. And number 34 I have I believe one of the oldest movies on the list. I have The Haunting. Dr. John Markway, an anthropologist with an interest in psychic phenomena, takes two specially selected women to Hill House, a reportedly haunted mansion. Eleanor, a lonely eccentric woman with a supernatural event in her past, and the bold Theo, who has ESP, join John and the mansion's heir, cynical Luke. They are immediately overwhelmed by strange sounds and events, and Eleanor comes to believe the house is alive and speaks directly to her if you guys saw the haunting of hill house this is the movie that um it's all based off a story called the haunting of hill house this was the first adaptation of that story and this movie came out in this in the early 60s it's in black and white and i'm gonna tell you guys right off the bat it it's one of those movies that you would can watch now and it it was obviously it's probably not gonna scare you. The it's all the acting in it that it's done so well. Everything is basically like, you know, shadows and bangs on doors and um but it's so fucking good because I think the story alone is it's it's very touching and it, you know, it's lasts all this time. Like it's constantly being ripped off and, and paid homage to because of how well it is and this is the first movie that does it um this this movie is so important to horror because because movies like this were made it basically showed you how far we've gone in cinema and you know how horror and haunted house movies can when done executed really well can really affect us in a very strong way and that is why number 33 is 2013's The Conjuring. In 1970, paranormal investigator and demonologist Lorraine and Ed Warren are summoned to the home of Carol and Roger Perrin. The parents have their five daughters who have recently moved into a secluded farmhouse where a supernatural presence has made itself known. Through the manifestation and the relatively benign at first, Events soon escalate in horrifying fashion, especially after the Warrens discover the house macabre history. Whoo, this movie, bro. This fucking movie is just... It's, it's scary. It's, it's very, very scary. I have yet to find someone that didn't like this movie. Um, I'm a fan of movies that that focus on marketing and this movie did something that is just unheard of at for till this day and it's something that's a bit that just added to the creepiness so in some theaters they had priests um be outside the movie theaters if people you know needed to talk to that was like part of the the marketing they did they had like all uh, posters of of like oh if you feel a certain way after you watch this movie like contact this number or see the the local priest and this really scared people and i really don't blame them this movie is fucking scary man just that scene when when the mom character gets trapped um in the basement just who would have thought that just a clap can be so horrifying and 
once again, James Wan, bro, he he knows what he, what to do to scare people with just minimal. He just man, like the movie has like you know CGI up the ass and has jump scares, but that clap alone is what people will remember about this movie. So at number thirty three, I have The Conjuring. At number thirty two, I have the found footage classic. A masterpiece that nobody saw coming, 2007's Paranormal Activity. Soon after moving into a suburban tract home, Katie and Micah become increasingly disturbed by what appears to be a supernatural presence. Hoping to capture evidence of it on film, they set up a video cameras in the house and they are not prepared what happens after that. Man, this movie basically felt, I remember, I didn't get to watch this movie in the theater because I think I was, like, too young when it came out. Like, it was, like, rated R, obviously. But uh, it, it felt like, um, it felt like a moment. It felt like uh, watching it in the theater was part of it because I, I, I would hear that people really would get scared watching this. And... This movie basically took found footage. What Blair Witch started, this movie took to the next level. It is, you see very little, but what you do see is so scary. And it's captivating and it stays with you. And they made a whole series on just this one movie alone, on just all found footage. Um, You never see what's haunting them uh and the first movie let let alone just you know they they go into it obviously with with the sequels but in the first one you you're just here thinking like wow this girl's you know being had been haunted her whole life and here she has evidence of it and it was one of those movies that like it's all like doors opening and closing noises um lights turning on and off bit like I said, done right, it is very, very scary. And this is a movie that I feel like, like many other uh, modern classics, it's going to be a movie that's going to be talked about for a long time because it gave life to the found footage. And now, you know, you have movies like VHS and and Wreck and just so many other movies that just, it's all because of how successful this movie really was. Number 32, I have Paranormal Activity. Okay, number 31, I have The Grudge. <laughs> this movie, bro, I have such a funny story when it comes to this movie. So, uh, all right, let me tell you a little bit of the movie for those that don't know. So, Matthew Williams, his wife Jennifer, and mother Emma are Americans making a new life in Tokyo. Together, they move into a house that has been the site of a supernatural occurrence in the past. And it isn't long before their new home begins terrorizing the Williams family as, as well. The house, as it turns out, is the site of a curse that lingers in a specific place and claims the lives of anyone that comes near. This movie haunted, like, okay, so um, the story that I wanted to tell. So I've always been a huge horror fan. Like, luckily, my mom was a horror fan, too. So she would show me all these movies. 
And I remember going to Blockbuster and seeing the box for the Grudge, which is just um, um, uh, Kayako's eye and the black hair. And I really wanted to know what this movie was about. And I asked my mom, do you want to watch it? It's a scary movie. And she was like, yeah, we'll watch it. And, man, we fell in love with this movie hard, bro. Like, this movie is so creepy. Um, and I remember I wanted – this was one of the movies that I wanted to show my friends. And I remember I had them over the next day, and I put the movie on, and it scared. I was, like, at the time, like, I liked it. I wasn't super – this is the movie that basically showed me how numb I was to these horror movies because – I loved the movie. Like, I was like, man, you guys got to watch the movie. This movie's awesome. This movie scared the fuck out of my friends. I remember, like, one of my friends actually went home and told on me. And um, the his mom came over and, and basically, like, tried bitching at my mom. Like, oh, how can you let your son watch this? Like, blah, blah, blah. And my mom was just like, um, bitch, get the fuck out of here. Like, who the fuck are you? Like, this kid was like traumatized apparently because of this movie and i really don't blame him the the imagery in this movie is so horrifying just you have three different ghosts and obviously the ghost that always stands out for people is is sadako the the mom the the wife ghost and even toshio too who's the son like it's so well done and well this is one of the movies that i was like very um I was debating. I was like, man, can I do I put, you know, the original Juon, the the Japanese one, or do I put the American version, The Grudge, with Sarah Michelle Geller? And I honestly like I don't know how people are gonna feel about it. Like, you know, you have like the a certain type of fan uh fandom that it's all about like you have to pay respect to the originals and I, I respect that and I totally understand. But I, me, in my opinion, this is my list, obviously, like, in my opinion, I feel like this is one of the few exceptions where the remake is better than the original. Um, the the Japanese version is scary in its own element. It's kind of the same story. It's just I don't like the way that the Japanese tell um, tell this uh, this particular story because it's cut off in segments and it's all, like, nonlinear and I'm not a fan of that. Like, some people might. Don't get me wrong. It's very scary. Like, the images are whew, horrifying. But I like the American version better. It is very, very scary. This is definitely one of the movies that I do not ro- uh, recommend watching by yourself. But 31, I have The Grudge. At number 30, one of my personal favorites, movie that has stood uh, the test of time, 1981's American Werewolf in London. David and Jack, two American college students, are backpacking through Britain when a large wolf attacks them. David survives with a bite, but Jack is brutally killed. As David heals in the hospital, he's plagued by violent nightmares of his mutilated friend who warns David that he is becoming a werewolf. When David discovers the horrible truth, he contemplates committing suicide before the next full moon, which causes him to transform from a man to a beast. Oh my God, this movie, I, like I said, this movie has stood the test of time just alone on the transformation scene. Oh my God, if you guys don't want to watch the movie, I understand like this movie adds um 
I I personally don't mind it when they add comedy and horror, um, because it 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 has like a wacky uh effect to it. But this one, when when it's when it's meant to be scary, it is scary. Cause man, that transformation scene, like you, you're the the director John Landis, who funny enough also directed the Michael Jackson's Thriller video because of this movie. Um, he puts you in David's shoes when he's transforming. Like you're seeing everything a lot during this time of um werewolf movies, it was always like you know it would pan out to the to the side. You would hear the transformation. They show you little glimpses. It was all done in shadow, or you know you would see them just grow patches of hair and boom, it's a wolfman. But no, in this one you feel the pain of him transforming into a wolf, and that scene alone is iconic. It's something that. It is engraved in people's minds that seen it. This is a movie that I feel like will be talked about for ages just on prosthetics alone. Number 30, I have American Werewolf in London. Number 29, I have 1931's Frankenstein. This iconic horror film follows the obsessed scientist, Dr. Henry Frankenstein, as he attempts to create life by assembling a creature from body parts of the disease, deceased. Well, sorry. The this is the last and most, in my opinion, most iconic of the of the Universal monsters. There are so many of them, but this is the one that scared people to death. This movie, when it came out, people didn't understand that what they were watching was an actor, was an actual human being in the makeup. Because, you know, uh, Boris Karloff himself was a creepy looking dude. And just this, he brought Mary Shelley's like uh, iconic novel to life. It's whenever people think of Frankenstein, they think of the bolts in the neck and the, the giant forehead and being this grotesque looking humanoid. And it's because that's what Boris Karloff basically looked like. And... This movie, it's in black and white, and you know it's it's super old. It's over eighty years old, but man, it's it's till this day. I think it's one of the most horrifying things because I put myself in the shoes of the people that were watching this, and for the it was showing scenes that at the time were just very taboo. Like you see, like Frankenstein actually kill a little girl. Not he doesn't know what he's doing, but people were like so mad at that. They couldn't believe that the Universal, this big, gigantic, like, you know, uh, entity of cinema would allow something like this to be shown. Like there was like they actually had to cut that scene. There's some um, there are some uh, versions of the movie where they still leave that scene. But people were like just angered by the fact that they would show something like this back in the day. And it's a movie that has definitely stood the another movie that stood the test of time. It's iconic obviously product of his time but if you got if you get a chance watch it obviously like it's campy at at its best like but it's part of you know of horror horror legend and it's a movie that of cinema in general like this movie is just beautifully made 1931's frankenstein at number 29 so we are continuing at number 28 i have the sixth sense Young Cole Sear is haunted by a dark secret. He is visited by ghosts. 
Cole is frightened by visitation from those with unresolved problems who appear from the shadows. He is too afraid to tell anyone about his anguish except child psychologist Dr. Malcolm Crow. As Dr. Crow tries to uncover the truth about Cole's supernatural abilities, the consequences for client and therapy therapists are a jolt that awakens them both to something unexplainable. When people think of the ultimate twist, the ultimate like what the hell did not see that coming scene, it's this movie. This movie is all about the ending like till this day like people still talk about it because man like Shyamalan this is Shyamalan obviously at his finest. I don't think he will ever top this movie. It, Haley Joel himself like he is like you feel for this kid man like when he when he shows that he's afraid like, he does such a great job um you have Tony Collette who comes out in another classic horror movie which has yet to make uh has yet to be named it will soon but her playing the mom character like she does such a great job it's just man the casting was great the twist is obviously what makes this movie like such iconic but man some of the scenes man are man they stay with you bro it really creeps you out because it's something like you know it's something that people will question are ghosts real and you know what happens if you can actually see ghosts so at number 28 i have the sixth sense at number 27 probably a movie that most of you guys don't know about but if you do like yo you gotta hit me up because we have officially become best friends Number 27, I have 1973's Don't Look Now. Still grieving over the accidental death of their daughter, Christine and John head to Venice, where John's commission, been commissioned to restore a church. There, Laura meets two sisters who claim to be in touch with the spirits of Baxter's daughter. Laura takes them seriously, but John scuffs them until him until he himself catches a glimpse of what looks like Christine running through the streets of Venice. This is one of those movies that even if you don't know about it, you have seen elements of it in or in other horror movies. A lot of the times when you hear uh directors talk about like especially when they're doing a horror movie, they'll be like, "Oh, where did you get this idea or what are some of your favorite horror movies or um what are inspirations? They always mention this movie. Don't look now. Just because it's not the creepiest movie. It's not the scariest. But the story is something that, you know, something that is very strong. Like right at the beginning, you're seeing uh, a child killed. And it's, you're seeing how the parents are dealing with it in their own way. And this is one of those movies that it, it kind of like The Sixth Sense has a twist ending. Something like the whole thing with this movie is either you really like the twist and that means that you love the movie or you hate the twist and you'll hate this movie. But you cannot deny how impactful this movie is. Like I'll be watching like just randomly like I'll just be watching some perfect example. I was watching uh, Rick and Morty, one of my favorite shows, and they meant they just randomly mentioned a scene from this movie. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like there's just something that like. um. I'm sure, like, uh, movie movie film uh, directors and movie f uh, film buffs, like, they have to watch this. Like, historians, 
uh, that deal with cinema have to watch Don't Look Now. So yeah, number 27, Don't Look Now. 26, I have probably the most controversial movie of all time, 1932's Freaks. When trapeze artist Cleopatra learns that circus midget Hans has has an inheritance, she marries the lovesick performer, all the while planning to steal his fortune and run off with her lover, the strongman Hercules. When Han's friends and fellow performers discover what is going on, they band together and carry out a brutal revenge that leaves Hercules and Cleopatra knowing what it truly means to be a freak. This movie came out, this is one of those movies that would definitely not be made today. And the reason why is because they use real life people with deformities. They use actual pinheads. They used, um, you know, actual little people. Um, this was a movie that was people actually like rioted like outside uh, the studio because they couldn't understand how it was even allowed to be made. Even back then, it shows you like, you know, people without arms or legs on on film, which had never been seen before. And this is a movie that, you know, um, if you got to see uh, American Horror Story Freak Show, this is where they basically got the premise for. And if you get a chance, I know it was on HBO Max for a while. You have to watch number 26, Freak, Freaks. Okay, at number 25, I have 1977's masterpiece, Suspiria. Susie travels to Germany to attend a ballet school. When she arrives late on a stormy night, no one lets her in, and she sees Pat, another student, fleeing from the school. When Pat reaches her apartment, she is murdered. The next day, Susie is admitted to her new school, but has a difficult time settling in. She hears noises and often feels ill. As more people die, Susie uncovers this terrifying secret of the place. Oh, man. Dario Argento, man. This is his masterpiece masterpiece this is the movie that people will always remember this movie is just weird honestly like it's horrifying and weird and it does something that you just don't see in horror most when you think horror movies you think you know things in the dark uh, you know the shadows barely seeing anything something popping out at you but no he does he switches it around because everything is just bright Everything is super colorful in this movie. The blood is so red. The blues are so blue. Everything is like to the max when it comes to lighting. It almost feels like a fairy tale. And I think that's what he was like going for. Like he wanted to do like his version of The Wizard of Oz in a horror movie. And man, if you guys get a chance, I know this one got remade uh, a couple years back and I've heard good things, but, but no, you have to watch the original. And number 25, I have Suspiria. Number 24, one of my personal favorites, and I'm pretty sure people are going to message to me and be like, why is this even on the list? But I have to put it, bro. I'm, I have to defend this movie. Number 24, I have 2004's Shaun of the Dead. Shaun is a 30-something loser with a dull, easy existence. He's When he's not working at the electronics store, he lives with his best friend, Ed, in a small flat on the outskirts of London. The only unpredictable element in his life is his girlfriend, Liz, who wishes desperately for Sean to grow up and be a man. When the town is 
overrun with zombies, Sean must rise to the occasion and protect both Liz and his mother. This Edgar Wright is one of my favorite directors, and it's because of this movie. This was the first movie I saw from him, and it's basically like a spoof of Dawn of the Den. That's Sean of the Den. Um, and it's it's one of those movies that if you're a fan of British humor, you're gonna love this movie to death, no pun intended, or you're just gonna hate it because you just don't understand. But man, this movie, like it's it's a comedy, but it's super, super gory at times. And the actors are just amazing. You got Simon Pegg and Nick Frost doing their best. So go and watch this movie if you haven't, which I'm surprised. I don't think I've met anyone that hasn't met it. It's usually like, oh man, you either really, either people tell me like, oh, I fucking hate that movie. Or they'll be like, yo, I love that movie. Number 24, Shaun of the Dead. And number 23, I have 2002's The Ring. It sounds just like another urban legend. A videotape filled with nightmarish images leads to a phone call foretelling the viewer's death in exactly seven days. Newspaper reporter Rachel Weller is skeptical of the story until four teenagers all die mysteriously exactly one week after watching just such a tape. Allowing her investigative curiosity to get the better of her, Rachel tracks down the video and watches it. Now she has just seven days to unravel the mystery. The Ring. Man, this was one of the movies that just stood out for me as a kid because it's just creepy. I accidentally watched this movie. I think I was like maybe like eight years old and I was just scrolling through TV and it like the movie had just started. And like, I like obviously, as you can tell, like I love horror movies. So I was like, oh, The Ring. And as a kid, I remember just seeing and being so creeped out. Uh, Samara is arguably one of the scariest ghosts in all of horror. Um, I was uh, this is another one that I was debating because um, I don't know if you guys knew. I'm sure most of you did that. This is a, a remake of the Japanese version of Ringu, which I'm going to be very honest with you guys. This is another movie that I feel like the U.S. remake was better. Um Ringu, um, I don't know. It's it's a little wacky. It, it's not really that scary until obviously like the very end. Um, the story is kind of the same. They changed um some elements. Were as the Japanese version, uh, it's more like uh, mystical and stuff. And I don't know. I feel like the the American version they did a, a way better job. It does such a good way of creeping you out. It's a, I like that it's like a mystery um not just like horror it focuses on you know investigative um abilities and this is one that it's it's a must like you have to watch this movie and number 23 i have the ring all right so we're coming close to the end and number 22 i have 1976 carrie and this chilling adaptation of stephen king's horror novel Withdrawn and sensitive teen Carrie White faces taunting from classmates at school and abuse from her fanatical, pious mother at home. When strange occurrences start happening around Carrie, she begins to suspect that she has supernatural powers. Invited to the prom by by Tommy Ross, Carrie tries to let her guard down, but things eventually take a dark and violent turn. This movie is just... The ultimate, like, you go, girl movie. This is the ultimate 
revenge movie where you're basically put in a situation where you're like, who am I supposed to be rooting for? This movie's all about the ending. Um, I actually saw this movie recently, and it's kind of funny. It starts off as a horror movie, and it gets lost. Like, in the middle, it becomes like a like a rom-com, like, you know, coming-of-age movie. So I would understand people being like, why Why is this so high up? But it's just, this movie's a, cl- it's a masterpiece. It's a classic, one of Stephen King's best. Um, And like I said, it's all about that ending. Like, I always look forward to watching this movie because I know the payoff is good. And this movie does something that it's kind of become um like a staple in horror with that, you know, that last jump scare. But this is one of the first movies that does it. And it does it really well. And man, Sissy Spacey, who plays Carrie, she's just, she looks so innocent. But for those that have seen that movie, you know, like that prom scene, like when everything switches, it goes from her being like this innocent little angel to basically the devil. So this movie's amazing. I love it. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Don't watch the remake. The remake sucked. I was looking forward to the remake because you have Demi Moore playing the mom character and you had Chloe Moretz. And I was like, all right, I like both of them. I feel like it's going to do a good job. But I don't know. It's it was they did a little too much and it didn't pay off. It's all about the original number 22, Carrie. And the last movie for this uh, part of the countdown, number 21, I have 1999's The Blair Witch Project. Found footage tells the tale of three film students, Heather, Joshua, and Michael, who travel to a small town to collect uh, footage about the Blair Witch, a legend local murder. Over the course of several days, the students interview townspeople and gather clues to support the tale's veracity. But the project takes a frightening turn when the students lose their way in the woods and begin hearing horrific noises. This is this is the movie, guys. Like for any fans of found footage, this is the movie that you have to give thanks to. Don't get me wrong, there had been uh, found footage films before this, but this is the movie that put it in the mainstream. Everything before that, it was basically like direct to video, or you had to. It was very limited. Uh, you wouldn't see it in every single theater. But this is the movie that blew, that blew it up, and it's all because of um the writer and the the directors they did an amazing job when it came to marketing like i had said earlier like i'm a huge fan of people that focus on the marketing and this these people did it so well so what they did was they basically built the blair witch isn't even a real thing but they built a whole lore before the movie even came out they had um they had made a a documentary um on the sci-fi channel talking all about the Blair Witch. Um before the movie had even come um came out, I don't know if you guys knew, but some some of these like indie movies, they they go to festivals first. They go to like, Sundance or Telluride, where um they get shown to limited people, and then from there they can kind of see, okay, like this movie was good enough, it should probably get a nationwide release. And a year before the movie came out. The way they promoted it was they would stand outside these theaters and hand out uh, missing flyers. Um, They would ask, like, oh, have you guys seen these filmmakers by any chance? So it became like a whole thing. And it was just it came out at the right time because this was when the Internet was becoming what the Internet is now. This was, you know, back then there wasn't that many websites and 
Um, we didn't have, obviously there was no MySpace, no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram. So everything was basically through chat rooms and they helped build the lore because people were going around asking like, Hey, have you guys heard about these, uh, missing filmmakers? So it became a legend <laughs> just by like word of mouth. People were like, Oh, like before the movie came out, people were thinking, Oh my God, this is like a real documentary that they're going to show. Like they actually found these cameras out in the woods and they, they even did um uh news articles. They did news articles. They um it came out in the news all about these missing hikers that were students filming uh this local legend, and people were horrified even before the movie came out because they're like, Oh my god, I can't believe they're gonna show something like this in the theater. And man, they did this movie with I wanna say probably less than like 50k, and it made millions worldwide this movie was one of the most successful box office uh horror movies and if you watch the movie it's it's all noise you don't see anything it's all up to the viewer's imagination and i think it's done perfectly i know there's certain people that they want to see the monster but if done right this type of film can you know can become a legend and it's basically what it is this this is one of the this is one of the goats in my opinion. This movie like deserves all the praise. It it opened up the door for so many movies to be what they are today. And it's all thanks to these guys that just, you know, they took a risk. They were like, "Man, let's let's just take these little cameras, go out to the woods and create horror masterpiece." So that's it. Number 21, I have The Blair Witch Project. So, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know this episode was really really long. It it took me a while to film to record and you know uh if you guys stuck out to the end man i really appreciate it i want to thank everybody that um always reaches out to me giving me notes uh giving me advice um giving me talk topics to talk about like that truly truly means everything to me so i want to thank you and um yeah that's it for this episode i hope you guys enjoyed it and i hope you guys like the next episode thank you <laughs>